0: Welcome back to another episode of the Act, Protect, Engage, Academy podcast. Thank you for joining me. I hope you guys are having a happy new year so far. It's early, but I hope you guys are having a great new year so far. We are listening to Revolutionary War Music, Marching Music. Echoes of Revolution. Alright, this is pretty dope. If you don't get fired up by this music, I don't know man, you might be dead, check your pulse. (laughs) Thank you for joining me. Alright, Chase H, CEO of Act Protect Engage, here again with another great historical podcast. Today we are talking about the Second Battle of Trenton. It occurred today in 1777, January 2nd. We talked about the first battle of Trenton in a previous podcast. Thank you. Thank you. We talked about the first battle of Trenton in a previous podcast. And um, it was a huge victory for the Americans. Huge victory. It really redefined the war. It gave Americans hope. And it really was a morale boost for them. They had taken hella losses fighting the british in new york so england landed its army on long island and they this punched the crap out of the american army for a while and the americans they fought hard they fought well considering that they were brand new that they really didn't have any organization yet and they held off the british for as long as they could so the british Overran Fort Washington, which was kind of the final Patriot stronghold in New York, drove them out of New York. The American army was running with a, their tail between their legs through New York. The, Brit, the Brits chased them into New Jersey, right? So from New York into New Jersey. So this is what we're talking about right now. That's the setting. We had just lost in New York City. George Washington crosses the Delaware. On Christmas Day, 1776, crosses the icy Delaware River. You guys ever seen that oil painting, that kind of iconic image of George Washington in the boat with his Continental soldiers kind of huddled around him with rags on, and there's a majestic American flag in the background? You know, he had his foot up, looking out into the distance. That's what we're talking about. He crosses the Delaware, and he defeats the Hessian Garrison At Trenton the next day, which is where I was born. Trenton, Trenton, New Jersey. Shout out, Trenton, New Jersey. And uh, so that was the victory, the big victory that the Americans needed. All right. Piece of housekeeping for today we have a sponsor, and it is Ape Defensive Solutions LLC. They are our sponsor for 2022. (laughs) Follow them on. IG at A.P Academy. So Ape Academy. At Ape Academy on IG. Facebook, Ape Defensive Solutions. Twitter, at A underscore defensive. All right. Also, they have a Patreon. Their link is in the bio on IG. Great exclusive content, exclusive tactical and shooting instruction. There's a three-tier membership system. So click the link in the bio on Instagram and learn more, sign up today. All right, great company, expert instruction. They are the parent company of Ape Academy's podcast. Great folks. (laughs) That guy Chase, man, he is a stud. Make sure you follow him, okay? All right, so housekeeping over. That's all we got for 2022, man. We're striking out on our own in 2022. All right, so we set the we set the stage a little bit for the second battle of Trenton, and we're gonna go from there. All right? We're gonna go from there. So this is what happened. General George Washington is really a military genius. I don't I don't think he's appreciated as much as a military commander as he should be, as a strategic commander. Very smart, very strategic. He understood how to, how to motivate his troops when they needed it. He kind of could feel the spirit of his men. And he knew how to fight the American way. Because remember, America didn't really have an army back then. The Brits had an established, powerful, motivated, well-paid army. The British regulars were amongst the most feared soldiers in the world at the time. And on top of that, they also employed a group of mercenaries called the Hessens, right? The Hessens were a mercenary German military group, military force that the Brits used to complement their numbers. Not complement, supplement their numbers, I'm sorry. Because remember, England is a small island. So... The British Empire, being so big, they needed to supplement some of their forces. So they hired the best. The Hessans were were feared just as much as the British regulars were. They were well-paid, super motivated. They were known to not take prisoners. They were well-known for that. And they would march directly in the gunfire with no hesitation. So that's who the Americans were up against. Ooh, kind of scary, huh? Pretty freaking scary. All right, so that's the scene. We had just beat the Hessian garrison at Trenton. We surprised them, crossed the Delaware River, surprised the Hessians with a with a surprise attack, a very complex surprise attack. Made them, we killed 22 of them, made them surrender, a bunch of them escaped. So, we got two sources today for our research. We got Patrick O'Connell, oh no, Patrick O'Donnell, Patrick O'Donnell, I'm sorry. Patrick O'Donnell's amazing book Washington's Immortals, which I'm reading right now. I'm about halfway through. And, uh, man, his description of battles are freaking outstanding. If anyone is into the American Revolution and into colonial history, I suggest Patrick O'Donnell. Look him up. Also, Rick Atkinson. He has a few really, really great books on the American Revolution. Check him out also. Our second source is History.com. All my history buffs out there, history.com is a legit website. It breaks everything down very simply in an easy-to-understand format. So there's no complex, boring, you know, primary sources. It's all easy to understand, easy to digest. It's great. Check them out. All right, so New Year's Day fighting. Washington realized after the first battle of Trenton that his force could not hold Trenton against British reinforcements. He withdrew back across the Delaware River. On December 30th, he crossed back into New Jersey with an army of 2,000 men. Once he got word that Lord Charles Cornwallis and 8,000 Brits with reinforcements were marching south from Princeton, New Jersey, Washington had to work very quickly to get more men. He had to urge his militiamen, whose terms were soon up, to stay for the upcoming battle. So. Remember, there's a small core of Continentals. So, Continentals were the regular army. the soldiers that were full-time soldiers. They had an enlistment period of a few years. And so, they were solid, right? They were not going anywhere. But a huge portion of the American army were militia. They were part-time soldiers. So, there were shopkeepers, blacksmiths, mailmen, farmers, craftsmen. Whatever, carpenters. So they had homesteads to take care of. They had families. They were not full-time soldiers. Although their dedication, their courage, and their patriotism cannot be questioned, they still were not (laughs) regular soldiers. They had things to take care of. They had families they had to look after, right? They had homes they had to protect. So Washington was like, man, my enlistment terms for these guys are shorter than the regulars they're about to expire so I had to get these guys to stay just a little bit longer we need as many bodies as we can get so he he, you he uses oratory skills he was a great orator okay Washington was a great speaker he's a great motivator of men so what he did was he used his speaking skills and his appeal to their patriotism he, he complimented them on how brave and how great they had done so far to get as long as, as far as they have gotten And a lot of them stayed on longer than their terms. Their terms expired and they stayed a little bit longer. So on New Year's Day, the American force of 5,000 poorly equipped and poorly trained men gathered in Trenton for a stand against the incoming British Army. The next day, January 2nd, 1777, the Second Battle of Trenton occurs, and this is what we're talking about today. On January 2nd, the American Army prepared for Lord Earl Cornwallis's counterattack on the banks of the of Sunpink Creek. A-S-S-U-N-P-I-N-K. I can't pronounce it, so you guys do your own pronunciation. <laughs> All right. He led a force of 5,500 men With 28 cannons. And he left a small force of 1,500 men. To guard Princeton New Jersey. So Princeton was. The British base of operations. In New Jersey. The. Base of operations. Was key. For the Brits. Their goal. Was to control New Jersey. For a few reasons. But the main reason was. It was a buffer between the Continentals and their real primary base of operations, which is New York City. Remember, the British landed in New York City on Long Island. So New Jersey is like a big buffer zone, right, between the Continentals and their base of operations, the British base of operations in New York City. Also, the British could forage in New Jersey. New Jersey had a lot of plentiful bountiful farmland a lot of livestock a lot of um, animal life a lot of opportunities to forage so foraging is when armies back in the day they used to send out people to go look for food right either they would steal the locals livestock seize it or they would pay them for it so they would go out and look for food look for supplies whether it be firewood crops livestock whatever New Jersey had a very rich agricultural culture, right? The Brits knew this, so they really had to control New Jersey to help feed their army. Remember, British supply lines stretched thousands of miles back to England. America was Britain's colonial outpost in North America, so most of their supplies came from the motherland. It came from England. It had to be loaded on the ships in London, transported across the Atlantic Ocean landing in New York City then from New York City they had to transport it by whatever cart oxen horse whatever to their soldiers in New Jersey so the British needed New Jersey they needed New Jersey for supplies alright so they really had to defend it there was a bridge that crossed the creek and it divided the two armies a narrow wooden bridge George Washington, like I said before, knew how to motivate his men. And he screams out, defend the bridge to the last extremity. He yells this in front, pretty much in front and in earshot of the British Army right across the creek. He wants the Brits to know that the Americans aren't going nowhere. (laughs) Colonel Charles Scott of the Virginia Regiment agreed to fight. To the last man your excellency He agreed to fight to the last man It was not a game The Americans were not going anywhere A small force of riflemen From Pennsylvania led by Colonel Edward Hand Bought time for the Americans To dig in at the creek So the Americans sent skirmishers So back in the day Revolutionary warfare Consisted of a lot of skirmishes In front of the two main bodies right the two main armies you would send skirmishers out lightly armed and they're really meant to harass the enemy to draw them into a fight to buy time for your main army to dig in to set up to advance their position right you you guys ever seen rocky what was it rocky 4 when rocky fights drago and he finally lands a punch he's like <laughs> and his train's like he cut him he's cut That's what the skirmishers do, right? They try to cut up the opposing force, right? They try to make them bleed a little bit. They try to land that first punch so it pisses off the enemy. It makes them rush and do stupid things. So that's what the Americans did. They sent skirmishers across the creek to harass the British, to delay them, to bloody their eye, to give them a little bruising. And that gave Washington and his officers time to set up their army for battle. Because guess what? For the Americans, this was do or die because there was no way to escape. Behind them was the frozen Delaware River. In front of them was a creek and a massive, scary, intimidating British army marching toward them. And on top of that, they had no boats. Excuse me. So even if they wanted to retreat, even if they lost and they started running away, they had no boats to, to cross the river in. So they were screwed either way. <laughs> oh no. So the much larger force of Hessens and British regulars were approaching quickly. The Hessens wanted revenge. They wanted payback for their defeat at the First Battle of Trenton. So the Hessian officers told their men to take no prisoners, accept no surrender. So any American that was captured would be instantly killed. No prisoners, no mercy. Even after the great victory a few days earlier, the American spirit was really low. Like Despair was everywhere. The mood was grim. Many were terrified. Quote, There was no possible chance of crossing the river. Ice as large as houses floating down. And no retreat to the mountains. The British were between us and them. No way to run away. This was it. The Americans were cornered. But remember, when you corner an animal, what happens? They usually fight back. It doesn't matter what type of animal it is. A squirrel, a bird, a dog, a cat, they're all going to fight back. And that's what happens. The army was in serious danger of being completely annihilated. However, Washington, being the strategic genius he was, and I really think he's underrated as an actual battlefield, battlefield commander, He placed his troops on the banks of the creek so that his most trusted core veterans fought with the artillery pieces and they guarded the most important crossings. So His vets, the guys he could rely on, he could lean on in times of trouble in tough fights, he put at the most strategic parts of the battlefield and this was by design. The more unreliable militia were placed at intervals between the regulars and this would help bolster their courage help keep them in the fight even when they wanted to run the militia were known for being really patriotic really enthusiastic and really dedicated to the cause but they weren't really full time soldiers remember they were regular dudes so they ran like when the things when things weren't going their way they would definitely turn tail and run so what George Washington did he switched things up he was like "All right, when the militia fight together they run so if you looked around you saw a bunch of your friends running you wouldn't even ask what was going on you would just run too right that happened all the time in the beginning of the revolution they would just run but Washington figured out hey if I put the militia mixed up with the regulars if they look around and they want to run and they start to run but no one else is running they're going to be like hmm maybe everything's okay So it gives them courage when they look around and see their boys standing strong. And that was really important. The militia were great soldiers, but they were not regular soldiers. So this is a quote from Colonel Scott of the Maryland and Virginia regiments. This is a great quote. I love it. Well, boys. You know the old boss has put us here to defend this bridge and by God it must be done. Let what will come. Now I want to tell you one thing, you're all in the habit of shooting too high. You waste your powder and lead and I have cursed you for this a hundred times. Now I tell you what it is, nothing must be wasted. Every crack must count. For that reason boys. Whenever you see them fellows first begin to put their feet upon this bridge, do you shin them? Take care now and fire low. Bring down your pieces. Fire at their legs. One man wounded in the leg is better than a dead one. For it takes two more to carry him off, and there is three gone. Leg them, damn them. I say, leg them. So, what he's telling his soldiers to do, that's... How- That quote is hard. What he tells his soldiers to do is pretty much shoot him in the legs. We talked about weapons of the era. And what you did was you had a packet of powder. You had a very specifically measured out amount of powder. And you would pour the powder down the muzzle. And you had a little shot wads, they called them. And you would use a metal rod and jam the shot into your muzzle. So you had to pack it very tightly. What this did was it tended to make the muskets extremely inaccurate. They tended to shoot really high. So what he's telling his men to do is shoot at their legs. And if you shoot at their legs, you might hit them in the chest. You might hit them in the head. But even if you hit them in the legs and they crumble, it takes two men to drag away a wounded man. So that's three men out of the the fight, out of the battle. And that's what you want. You want to reduce their numbers as best as you can. And that clogs up the bridge. Remember, they're defending a very narrow bridge. There's only a few ways to cross for the Brits. So, if you can clog up the bridge, that's great. So, the British attacks began with punishing volleys of cannon fire and probing attacks up and down the line. The bulk of the attack was at the bridge. The Hessian Grenaders, right, they came first. They're all really tall really well-built men beautiful uniforms they're marching to drum beats like we heard in the beginning of the podcast very intimidating they made it all the way almost across the bridge they made it halfway across the bridge before they were finally repulsed with heavy losses so the americans would shoot volley after volley after volley into the advancing hessens before they broke Again and again, the Brits threw themselves at the Americans, at the bridge, trying to cross the bridge. And they were repulsed over and over and over again with bloody losses. The three attempting crossings were broken by vicious canister cannon fire and musket volleys. So the Americans would shoot, their first line would shoot a volley in unison, step back, the second line would step forward and shoot another volley. What this did was it kept up the rate of fire also while they're doing this they're stuffing their their cannon with canister canister is like let me see it's like buckshot with shotguns or birdshot right you shoot a cannon and a bunch of smaller projectiles fly out it's very devastating at close range so they loaded their cannon with canister as the bridge approached, they would fire into their ranks with canister from the cannon And then follow up with volleys. And I don't care who you are. The British Army, although they were feared, are not immortal. So they suffered heavy losses. Okay, so Lord Cornwallis sits back and he's like, he's like, all right. (laughs) He just chuckles like, okay, they want to play? All right, I got you. He was like, okay, cool, no problem. We're going to stop the fight right now. We're going to pause we got you, though. You remember, you're trapped. We're the British Army. We can do this all day. This is what we do. This is what we do. Literally, we fight. We march and we fight and we die and we inflict damage. And we're willing to do that to get what we want. So remember, I had said, I think I said earlier, that might have been on a previous podcast, but the British had an air of confidence that almost bordered on arrogance when it came to fighting the Americans, they knew they were better than the Americans at fighting. They knew it, right? And they acted like it, which, honestly, was a very, very narrow-minded strategy at the time because the Americans were motivated. They might not have been as good fighting as the British, but they were more motivated than the British. So the British had this arrogant mindset, like, you know what, we're just gonna stop for today. We're gonna take a pause. We got them. Don't even worry about. it. We'll get them tomorrow, right? That was like the British thing. Was okay. If we can't get them today. We'll get them tomorrow. No, you don't always have tomorrow, right? But to them, they were like, you know what? The, the Americans are trapped. They're not going anywhere. They're trapped. Okay. We have nothing to worry about. So Corn, Cornwallis knew that it was it was pointless to keep throwing his his men up against that heavy fire. Take a pause. Regroup. Lick your wounds. Collect your dead, revise your strategy, refill the ranks, and go at it tomorrow. Perfect time for a break. We're going to take a quick break. Hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Ape. you're not if you don't get fired up by this music if you're not fired up by this music you might need to check your pulse i like this me i'm just a nerd i know that's probably it hey all right guys we're back all right real quick we're gonna conclude this podcast with the battle of trenton because it follows up right after it i promise it won't be long all right at dawn on january 3rd 1777 the day after the second battle of trenton guess what Cornwallis woke up to find the Americans gone. They vanished overnight. They vanished into thin air. Remember I said how the British were almost arrogant with the way they treated the Americans on the battlefield? Uh, eh, we're good. We'll get them tomorrow. No, the Americans, they're not they don't want to be there. They don't want to be trapped, right? They're going to do everything they can to survive, to prolong the battle, prolong the fight as long as necessary. So that means they're going to retreat. The Americans and General Washington were not afraid to retreat. They retreated a lot. And I don't think the Brits were used to retreating. Right? The British regulars only knew one direction and that was forward. They didn't know back. So in their minds, they're sitting there and they're like, okay, you know what? We took a lot of losses yesterday. What we're going to do is we're going to wake up and we're going to attack the Americans tomorrow. The Americans are not the French they're not another European power they're not gonna sit right in front of them the Americans are different they fight a different way so the Americans will retreat in order to fight and survive and live another another day live to fight another day all right so that's what they did by the time Cornwallis woke up the Americans were near the end of their 12 mile march to Princeton so what did George Washington do? How did he pull this off? So what he did was, after the battle, the second battle of Trenton on January second, he realized that you know what? If we fight the same way tomorrow, the British are just going to keep coming, and eventually they're going to envelope us, envelope, 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 envelope us, and destroy us. So this is what we're going to do. Make sure that all the men know. Light all your campfires. Post some guards. Make it look like we're bedding down for the night. While we do this, while we're lighting our campfires and creating a distraction, we're going to slip out the back door. Gather as many boats across the river as we can and let's let's nail the Brits in place. Let's make it look like we're going to fight tomorrow while we escape the back door. Meanwhile, once we gather our forces on the (laughs) once we gather our forces, we're going to march to Trenton. So we're going to slip out the back door. We're going to go down the creek. We're going to slip out the back door, gather all the boats you can, gather all the wagons you can, make sure you tie up the wagon wheels. So what they would do was, the artillery was transported with big, giant wheels on the back of wagons. They put cloth on the wheels to make sure they didn't make any creaking sounds. They also were helped by the fact that the roads were like frozen solid. So normally around that time it rains a lot in New Jersey and it's muddy, the roads are muddy and they really weren't passable. But since it was so cold, all the roads were frozen solid. So they're able to just kinda slowly march, no fight, so there was no torches. They went completely silent and completely dark when they marched. Meanwhile, they had a small force still in camp, making it look like they were chilling. So they marched 12 miles to Princeton. It was not very far. Washington sent a small force under General Hugh Mercer, which is what uh, Mercer County is named after, Mercer County, New Jersey, Hugh Mercer, to destroy a bridge. Mercer's men ran into a force of redcoats under Lieutenant Colonel Charles Mahood, and Mercer was subsequently killed in the fighting. But when Washington arrived, he rallied his troops, riding back and forth between the firing lines until the Americans broke through Marwood's lines and secured the victory at Princeton. So Marwood was in charge of that. Remember that small garrison I said of 1,500 soldiers that Lord Cornwallis had left at Princeton as he marched his 5,500 men south toward Trenton? So what Washington did was he circled around the backside and attacked Princeton when the British were asleep. So he surprised the garrison at Princeton and overwhelmed them, and he won. He captured Princeton. So what is the importance of this battle? Like the victory at Trenton, the Americans took prisoners, arms, and important supplies, but quickly withdrew. Washington, sensing a momentum shift, wanted to rush toward New Brunswick, New Jersey. But luckily, thank God, he was overruled by his officers because he was unaware that Cornwallis was also marching towards New Brunswick so once Earl Cornwallis woke up and he realized the Americans weren't there he figured they were marching toward New Brunswick so he led his force over there as well and most likely that would have been the end of the revolution because Cornwallis was pissed and he probably would have just destroyed the Americans at New Brunswick so when Washington was overruled he simply marches weary men back to Northtown, New Jersey, where they finally established a permanent winter quarters where they are safe from British harassment or attacks. The Continental Army had achieved what many would have believed impossible only a few years earlier, defeating a regular British Army in open combat in the field. Washington proved that by seizing the initiative, using violence of action, ingenuity, and inspiring his men The colonies could, in fact, be united into an effective fighting force. One of Apes' main principles is violence of action, taking the initiative, taking risks. Washington was a military genius because he was willing to risk everything and he was also willing to retreat. He wasn't too proud. He did not let his ego take over. He took losses like a man, and he shared the glory when he won. So he didn't take all the glory for himself when he won and then blame others when he lost, like a lot of commanders do. He took criticism and took the blame when he lost, and he shared the victory with his commanders, with his men, which is really admirable. Alright, so that concludes the second battle at Trenton, this January 2nd, 1777, the battle at Princeton, January 3rd, 1777, a abridged, compressed version of the American Revolution. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really, really do. We're pumping out content in 2022, guys. Alright? We're pumping out a lot of new content. I'm doing at least three to four podcast episodes per week. So keep your ears open. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today for the Ape Academy podcast. We're going to be talking more about the American Revolution in 2022. We're also tackling huge subjects like the Civil War. The Mongols. Oh, my God. The Zulus. The Zulus. It's gonna be great, and remember, we're still covering self-defense. The next episode will be finishing up the 45 ACP and 1911 podcast series. All right, tune in. I hope you enjoy it. God bless y'all. Put God first. Put your family first. Stay positive. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do something. we Ooh, him with the flutes. <laughs> Miss <laughs> Organic Dope took the day off today I hope you guys are enjoying this Revolutionary War marching music Have a great Sunday Go Eagles! Ape!